I have an action-packed Bill Simmons podcast for you. I figured out the James Harden trade that's going to happen. I talked to Joe House about Westbrook versus Wall and had Ryan Shazier coming on to figure out if Pittsburgh can go undefeated. Plus, we did some million-dollar picks. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we spun off the mismatch with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon. Their first podcast on the new feed is going to be available, I think, either late Thursday night or Friday morning. But um, we have moved them off the Ringer NBA show. You can subscribe to their feed on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Go help those dudes out. <laughs> they love they love the subs. They love the feedback. Very excited for those guys. They definitely earned it. It's a great show. And we'll have more announcements on uh, what's going to happen with the Ringer NBA, sh- NBA show feed over the next couple days. Also, speaking of basketball, the Book of Basketball podcast did, uh, we covered Chris Paul this week. Ryan Rosillo came on because Chris Paul is one of his favorite players. We covered his whole career. It is called Chris Paul, the Almost Point God. Please check that one out. Put a lot of time and energy into these Book of Basketball podcasts. I really love doing them. And uh, I think we took them up another level this season. So go check them out. Rewatchables. We did Wall Street this week. And uh, I'm just going to tell you the movie now for Monday. The program. Me, Rosillo, and Kyle Brandt. A college football movie unlike any other. That's going to be Monday night. So you have four days to watch it on your own time this weekend. All right, let's get to the podcast. Here's Pearl Jam. All right, I'm going to have Joe House on in a second to talk about the Russell Westbrook trade, something we taped last night. Also, Ryan Shazier is joining us to do million-dollar picks and talk about the undefeated Steelers and whether that can keep going. So I'm taping this. It is Thursday, early afternoon, Pacific time. And I've had time to digest the Westbrook trade, talk to some people, and I'm trying to figure out where James Harden is going. Houston is saying all the right things. 
Houston is saying, oh, no, now they may keep him. And you see tweets out there like Chris Mannix talking about how John Wall and James Harden were playing pickup together. They're making it seem like this is all headed toward James Harden staying. Maybe Westbrook was the issue. I don't agree. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, the more I look at this, the more I talk to people, I think, I think now this is a staring match. This is a leverage match. And Houston knows they have to trade James Harden. House and I will talk about this in a second, actually. And you can hear my reaction last night to it, where it's like, he's not going to last the season there. I think it's going to go sooner than that. And I wanted to lay out the landscape. Look at this. I did this whole, whole, uh, whole sheet trying to figure it out, like a whole blueprint. So here are the Harden suitors. If Houston is going to trade Harden, which I think they will, it's really Brooklyn or Philly. But to be fair, um, let's throw in Golden State. We'll throw in the Clippers. We'll throw in Sacramento as well. So Brooklyn, here are their assets. Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Landry Shamit, all those guys um, are pretty young. And Spencer Dinwiddie, who's on the last year of his contract. LeVert signed a new deal, but it's pretty, it's pretty palatable. Allen and Shamit are still on rookie contracts. They also have all their picks um, and all the swap potentials, things like that. So that's great, except there's no headliner in there. And, and this is the key if I'm trading James Harden. And this is the key thing for Houston to remember if they're trading James Harden, who is, um, one of the best four players of the last 10 years, who is still one of the best five or six players in the league, who is one of the greatest offensive players in the history of basketball and who is only 31 years old. You have to get something back for James Harden. That's not just a bunch of stuff. In the history of the NBA, it has never worked, ever, ever. There's not one example of trading a superstar for a bunch of pieces, for doing the proverbial $2 bill, trading that away and getting four quarters back. It's never worked. It's a terrible idea. You can't do it. You got to get an asset back. Brooklyn does not have the asset. They don't have that wow factor player out of those guys. I like Karis LeVert. He's 26. He's been hurt a lot. That can't be the centerpiece of a trade. They could throw a hundred picks at Houston. It doesn't change the fact that they're not getting anything tangible for James Harden. So that's a problem for Brooklyn. We're going to circle back to that in a second. Philly is the other team. Ben Simmons is the obvious piece. Ben Simmons for James Harden. Well, here's the problem with that. Houston can't trade James Harden for somebody who's not as good as James Harden straight up. As good as Ben Simmons has a chance to be, I am a bigger fan of Ben Simmons than most. His name, same name as my son. I think he's one of the best defensive players in the league. I want to see him on the right team. I feel like there's a version of him where somebody builds a whole team around him, built around um, his ability to play fast, his ability to be a point forward. You put him around, shooter. you put shooters around him, play a different kind of speed, and it becomes like the Ben Simmons team. Maybe it's not a team that wins the title, but it's something. You have an identity and then we can find out how good he is. Because last year he was playing on the same team with Embiid and Tobias Harris and Al Horford and um, no real point guard to take pressure off him, no shooting. And it was just a really easy team to defend. Um, if you're getting him, you could build, you know, an identity around him and try to really, really uh, make him succeed. Build a team that would make him succeed, much like the Ravens did last year with Lamar Jackson. So Philly has Simmons. They have all their picks for the next seven years, all the pick swap stuff. Those are the two obvious candidates. The other teams, Golden State, they could offer Wiggins, Wiseman, Minnesota's top three, 2021 protected pick, bunch of pick swaps. Here's the problem. If you're Harden, 
you're not winning the title if they do that because Clay Thompson's out for the year. So you're going to play with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and you're not going to win the title. You're in the same spot you are now. So he'll veto that. Clippers, they have no picks at all. It's just Paul George. Would you want Paul George for a year? Would you be excited about that? What do you do if you're the Rockets? Now you're training for Paul George for a year and then you have to re-sign him for another five. Would you want to re-sign Paul George for five years from what you've seen? Me neither. So they're out. The other one's a wild card, Sacramento. So Sacramento has Marvin Bagley, who I I am a big fan of. Um, even though he's been hurt, I don't think he should have ever gone over Luka Doncic in a million years, but I do think he's an asset. I think he has to be taken seriously. I want to see him healthy on a team that um, gets him the ball. They also have Halliburton, who they drafted, who fell to the 12th pick, who I think is going to be the best player in the 2020 draft when all things are said and done. And they have all their picks and all, all their swaps. So if Houston was like, fuck it, we're just going to trade James Harden. We don't care where he goes. And Sacramento is like, fuck it. This is our one chance to get a superstar. We'll offer Bagley and Halliburton and here's a bunch of picks and we'll put De'Aaron Fox and Harden together and we'll see where this goes. Um, on paper, that's something. Two problems. Harden would be like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to Sacramento. And then if you're Sacramento, what are you winning with James Harden and De'Aaron Fox and barely anybody else? The only reason I mention it is because Sacramento has a history of being like, yeah, fuck it. And just doing whatever. I think it's Brooklyn or Philly. Okay. So you're saying, well, wait a second. Are we sure it's just Brooklyn and Philly? Well, as I said before, Houston has to get an available young star for, for Harden. They have to get a younger centerpiece that they can build something around with Christian Wood. Um, some of the picks they got back. Hope, keep your fingers crossed that John Wall is good again and either keep him or trade him. But you got to get a young centerpiece. Simmons is the best centerpiece in the league that might be available for James Harden. Here are the other possibilities. Michael Porter Jr., hold that thought. Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman. And then it drops a level. It goes to Lori Markkinen, RJ Barrett, and then Anthony Edwards, which isn't, they're not trading him to Minnesota. Unavailable young stars. This is a very important category because these are all the people who will not be traded for James Harden because their teams just aren't going to do it. Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Darren Fox, Jamal Murray. So maybe a year ago you would have said, oh, maybe, maybe Jamal Murray for James Harden. No, Denver's not doing that. Devin Booker, no way. Trey Young, Atlanta's decided to build the whole city around him. They'll never admit defeat on the Luka Doncic trade, which is still one of the five worst trades the last 10 years. Jalen Brown, I don't see it. I think he means too much to Boston and the city on and off the court. Um, the Tatum-Brown thing, you have two guys who want to be in Boston who signed big contracts to stay there. Uh, you can build around those dudes for the next 10 years. The trade would be Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart for Harden if you're going to make up a trade. Boston's not doing it. They're not winning the title with Tatum and, and James Harden and a bunch of you know role players. It's not happening. Bradley Beal, no. Joel Embiid, no. John Morant, no way. Zion, no. Carl Towns, no, and it doesn't make sense anyway. Donovan Mitchell, no. DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul's in that team, so no. LaMelo Ball, ironically, eh. I don't think he's available yet. I think Charlotte actually wants to see how that progresses. Plus, what the hell are they going to do with James Harden? So back to the original question. Ben Simmons is the best trade piece for James Harden, which means James Harden is going to get traded to Philly, right? Well, 
I don't think so yet. Because if I'm Philly, I'm looking at this and I'm going, I know you're not taking Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, and a bunch of draft picks for James Harden. I know you're not doing that. That's not happening. So here's my offer. My offer is Ben Simmons. And then Houston goes, no, we got to get picks back. And Philly goes, no, our offer is Ben Simmons. And you can get 80% of Harden's value for Ben Simmons. So two problems there. One is Daryl Morey, the Houston, former Houston GM, went to Philly. And Tillman Fertitta, who let him out of the contract, God only knows what happened with that whole thing, um, lets him out. Daryl's going to spend more time with his family. And two weeks later, he's Philly's new running everybody guy. Um, so Houston is not going to get snookered by Philly. They're not going to make a deal where on paper you go, wow, they traded James Harden. All they got back was Ben Simmons. Philly knows this. They also know there's no better offer out there. If Clay Thompson was healthy, if Clay Thompson's ACL never happened, they'd probably be worried about Golden State because then you could talk about that Wiseman, Wiggins, the Minnesota pick, future picks, and you could have Harden, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and that's a contender and Harden would talk himself into that. But with no Clay Thompson, he's not talking himself into that. So Philly's looking at this going, we win. Ben Simmons, they're not going to get a better offer. Brooklyn's looking at this going, shit, we have all these assets, but we don't have quite enough to get Harden yet. We need to get a second asset. All right, so what do you do if you're, if you're Brooklyn? You got to get a, bring a third team in there. You go back to the available young stars, Simmons, Porter, Wiseman, Bagley, Markinen. The most appealing guy on that list is Michael Porter Jr., who conflicting reports on, when, uh, on whether he's completely untouchable or almost untouchable, and the Drew Holiday, who knows if he got brought up. Brooklyn's only chance is to overpay for Michael Porter Jr. and then put him into their package. So here's how that would work. A three-team trade where Denver, just for the privilege of, of including Michael Porter and rerouting him to Houston, Denver would be getting back Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Shamit, and two Brooklyn firsts. So we'll give, let's say the, the 2021 and 23 Brooklyn first round picks. All for the for the privilege of sending Michael Porter and Gary Harris to Houston. Hmm. All right. So here's here's this trade now. If it's three teams, Brooklyn, Denver, Houston. Brooklyn gets James Harden and PJ Tucker. Right. So now PJ Tucker, by the way, very close friend of Kevin Durant, University of Texas guy. So now you have James Harden, PJ Tucker, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, Joe Harris, you got to, and, and some of the role guys they signed, you, you've got enough. You at least have your starting five and it's freaking loaded. Denver, they get Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Shamit, and two Brooklyn first. They could also spin Jared Allen if they want, if they decide, Hey, we have Jokic. It would be weird to play them together. Jared Allen has real trade value. You could turn him into like, let's say they called the Celtics and they're like, Hey, give us. Um, Robert Williams, give us um, 
Romeo Langford and two first round picks. I don't know. You could turn Jared Allen into four assets if you want. A lot of teams would want him because 3.9 million, he could defend the rim. Houston, here's what they get out of this trade. Karis LeVert, Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris. They get two Brooklyn firsts and they get pick swaps in 2022, 2024, and 2026 with Brooklyn. So if you're Brooklyn, you're giving up, you're giving up Allen, you're giving up Dinwiddie, you're giving up Shamit, you're giving up Allen, you're giving up three of your first and three pick swaps, all for the right to put Durant, Harden, and Kyrie in the same team. That seems like a lot. I don't really like this trade that much for anyone other than Houston. My point is, this is the only way Brooklyn can trump whatever Philly has to offer if they can somehow figure out how to get Michael Porter Jr. from Denver. And now Houston has multiple assets. They get the Levert and the Porter, plus some picks. And, and now you're talking. Maybe Jared Allen is in the Houston side of that trade. Guess what? I'd still rather have Ben Simmons. So. The important thing for for Houston, try to get the Michael Porter or try to get, you know, try to get Bagley from Sacramento. Try to get even Markinen from, from Chicago. Try to get one more asset that Brooklyn can use some of their assets to go get. I still feel like if they paid 140 cents in the dollar for Michael Porter, Denver would have to consider it because they have a chance to win the title this year. Porter's their X factor, right? If you If you build a much deeper, better team around Jokic and Murray. Maybe you're in the mix, you know? Who knows with the Lakers? Maybe this is the year LeBron gets old. We already know the Warriors are out. You just never know. They're they're not that far away. Porter's the X factor. We don't we don't know if he can play crunch time and defend, you know, wings on the other teams and all, and whether he's going to be happy as the third option on a team, all this stuff. Who knows? So that's that's uh Brooklyn's best chance. And Brooklyn would end up with Harden and Tucker and they would have a three to four year run. And basically they would be all in the same way um, the Clippers went all in, the same way the Lakers went all in, the same way the Bucks kind of halfway went all in. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I think that's what they would have to do. And here's why that's important. Even if there was the hint of a three-teamer, Brooklyn's trying to get more assets to throw more at Houston, then Philly has to change their uh, their stance. And they have to say, Hmm. Looks like we got to offer a little more than Simmons. And this is where I think it lands. I think Mike Scott and Terrence Ferguson go in the trade because they're expirings. PJ Tucker goes in the trade. So Philly gets Harden and Tucker. They give up Ben Simmons, Mike Scott, and, and Ferguson. They give up two firsts, unprotected, and a pick swap. And then call it in. And, and, the reason they gave up more than they thought they had to give up is because they're worried that Brooklyn is just going to say, we're going to figure out how to get the assets and every, and we'll we'll try to get young guys from other teams. We have three-team potential, four-team potential. We're, we're going hell or high water to get this happening. And then Philly eventually says, what are we doing? We have a chance to get James Harden. And they have a chance to put James Harden with Joel Embiid. Um, I think the trade looks something like that. I think it will happen sooner than we think, um, because if we've learned any, anything about the history of the NBA, w- once a guy is unhappy and once a guy wants out, 
it always happens sooner than later. We rarely have the, wow, we're on month four of this guy being super unhappy. It usually happens. It usually happens fast. And in general, we should not be surprised when there's a mega NBA trade anymore. So that's my prediction. I still think James Harden's going to Philly. I felt that way the whole time, uh, really since the draft. I felt like Westbrook was going to end up in Washington before the draft. I don't know what happened. I don't know what what held up exactly, but uh, it eventually happened. And the Rockets want to get away from this Harden thing because he's going to be unhappy the whole year. They want to start over, start fresh. They never won anything with him anyway. They never made the finals with him anyway. Good luck, Godspeed, so long. And he goes to Philly. And I think that's how this plays out. All right, coming up, Joe House and I talking about the Westbrook wall trade, which we uh, we taped last night. It's all still relevant. Wouldn't change any of my pins in that. And then Ryan Shazer doing million dollar picks. It's all coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're taping this on a Wednesday night. Wanted to get House's instant reaction to the Westbrook-John Wall trade where the Wizards also threw a number one pick. That's fine. Uh, House is a lifelong Washington fan as anyone who's ever listened to him on this podcast knows. They've had a tortured existence. They really have not had a great playoff moment since the late 70s. They've had a couple okay playoff moments. One of them included John Wall jumping on a scores table after hitting a big shot. Um, I'm sure you're running through a gamut of emotions here. I want to start with this. Your team has Russell Westbrook, a polarizing superstar who you and I have texted about a million times. We've emailed about. Um, we've been on text threads about him. You have come on this podcast. We've debated his merits, whether he was the MVP, whether we'd want to play with him, whether this is somebody we'd want to root for. And now you have to drink the the Russell Westbrook Kool-Aid. Here we are. My friend, I'm here to announce I am a hoops pervert. (laughs) I came on this podcast multiple times four years ago when uh, Russell went on his tear and won the MVP, and I called everybody that voted for for Russell Westbrook as MVP of the NBA a hoops pervert, and I'm here to to announce today that I myself, Joe House, am a hoops pervert. So let's go backwards to the day before the draft. I think we can now tell this story. Oh, I was was wondering if you were going to be able to tell. I caught wind of this trade before the draft, and... I was told it was going to be done after the draft, barring something weird happen on draft day. But basically, the trade was Russell Westbrook to Washington, John Wall, and a pick and maybe another pick, depending on what happened in the draft, to Houston. And I called to tell you your team was getting Russell Westbrook. And it was a hilarious call. I wish I had videotaped it. And you were kind of, this was, there were really no rumors about it at all, other than on like the, the dark web. And watching you talk yourself into it over the course of three minutes was really funny because 
fundamentally, he made the All-NBA team last year. Whether he deserved to make it or not, he still did. He's still respected within his peers as a top 20 guy. Whether he is or not, that's up for debate. He's not old yet. Athletically, he looks pretty good. He looked terrible in the bubble because he got COVID and he had an injury. But I, I don't think there's any reason he couldn't be back to 90% what he was during that pre-pandemic bump he had. And you have Bradley Beal, who also would have made the All-NBA team if you had a good Wizards team. So now you could argue they have two of the top 30 guys in the league. It's a 30-team league. That's all you need to be a playoff team, House. Not only that, uh, I expect them to make the playoffs and not not just, you know, um, barely squeak in. They're not a seven or eight seed if everybody's healthy. They're a four, five seed, maybe. Uh, maybe Wait, hold, over, hold on. Maybe right, not what? four, but look, the East, we're, we are re-racking the East where the, the entire East is going through a reconfiguration, a recalibration. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. Russell Westbrook uh, averaged 27 points last year. He averaged right. nine assists and seven rebounds last year. Like he, he can play. He's, he's, he's not uh, over the hill. He's still in his early thirties. He's not on the front end of his career, but you know, this when is, you're, this is wonderful by the way. Yeah. I didn't realize you were gargling Kool-Aid like you are right now. When you're measuring it against a player who hasn't played 50 professional basketball games, since 2017, mm. then it, then it's valuable. Then it's valuable. And we have no proof that this version of Brad Beal, which is of a pretty mature basketball mature, I mean, uh, you know, sophisticated offensive presence, still has got to work on some defense, but a mature, sophisticated, offensive, impactful player, damn near led the NBA in scoring last year. Yeah, that version of him paired with John Wall didn't seem like a lot of prospect for success. Well, that plus with, the injury with, risk with John Wall, yeah, that piece too. Well, I, it's been persistent injury risk. We just went through it. He hasn't played fifty professional basketball games since calendar year two thousand and seventeen. Well, hold on. You mentioned Bradley Beal. I don't think there's any way this trade doesn't happen unless Bradley Beal was driving the car. And clearly, I, clearly, I mentioned this on a podcast last week and there was a little pushback and people like, wait, 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 Beal, Beal specifically told them to keep wall. Let's be honest. This is a player's league. Steve Nash doesn't get hired as the Brooklyn coach unless KD signs off on Steve Nash being the Brooklyn coach. This is the guy, LeBron, whatever the Dennis Schroeder trade, I guarantee they're running it by LeBron. It's the stars league. This is what all the smart teams do. They keep their stars in the loop. The Wizards want to keep Bradley Beal. They resisted every off offer, overture, whatever to trade him during a market where Drew Holiday is going for three first rounders and two pick swaps. They didn't want to bring the same team back. He clearly wanted to upgrade somewhere and get a second banana that could play with him. And now he's happy. And now they can, you can win 46, 47 games potentially, which is the whole point of this trade. And now you don't have to worry about trading him and starting over again. And the the point um, that I, I want to make, it does not put a lie to the friendship, the genuine friendship that he and Wall seem to have made over the last couple of years. Uh, Beal personally traveled down to John Wall and spent time with John Wall when John Wall's mother died. He, he, he uh, you know, 
tried to make a flight. He couldn't make a flight. He drove himself in his car down to John Wall's residence and stayed with him when his mother passed. And Wall and Beale were together here in Washington, D.C. this summer, the summer of 2020, working together uh, out on the protest lines, you know, in support of the Black Lives Matter stuff. That relationship is genuine and it's real. But that does not mean that when the team discussed with Brad Beal, what about our prospects for next year, that he couldn't get behind, couldn't endorse the idea of a of a hopefully healthy Russell Westbrook here in Washington, especially with a team that is in need of a cultural reset. And that, as much as anything, is uh, uh, the, a compelling enough reason to, to bring Russell in here. He's a notorious hard worker. His work ethic is legendary. And yeah. for a team that's go- been going through a, uh, you know, a renovation with a brand new front office staff. Now, Ch- Tommy Shepard's been there for, for forever, but they brought in all kinds of other professionals and support throughout, to, you know, strength and conditioning, the top tech guys, the top analytics guys. They're finally getting serious about basketball here bringing in a player whose work ethic is unquestioned by the entire league. That's a positive, impactful kind of statement, I think. Yeah, and I'm not saying Beal made the trade. I'm saying they do not make the trade unless he was okay with the trade. Right. Because their number one goal, if you're you're running the Wizards, whether you own it, whether you're the GM, you're trying to keep Bradley Beal happy because you don't want to get into a situation where you have to auction him off to the highest trade bidder uh, in four months, six months, whatever it is. They want to build around him. He's an awesome guy. He's 26 years old. He's one of the best off the court guys in the entire league. He's still getting better. Like if you're trading a guy like that and starting over, who's under contract for two more years, where are you going? And I think they smartly saw that. Now, if somebody came in and gave them the Anthony Davis ridiculous godfather offer, like what the Lakers gave up for Davis, I'm sure they would have to at least think about it, but that trade wasn't out there. So you think like, all right, what's Westbrook? You bring him in. What are we getting? Here's what you're getting. Everything you just said, he's going to work his ass off. He's going to play every single game like it's a game seven. He's going to average 27, nine and nine. So whoever you had at point guard last year, that's going to be better. And more importantly, you're not crossing your fingers with John Wall. So I think for the Wiz... The first round pick, it has some protections on it. It's never really top three dangerous. It's always, it's like lottery protected, top 10 protected. For the Wiz, they're in the playoff hunt now. You said they could get a five seed. I think you're wrong on that. Here's here's who's ahead of them. I would say Milwaukee. I would say the Celtics. I would say Miami. I would say Philly. Okay, that's Brooklyn, it. Brooklyn. Maybe. You tell Toronto. me what, what so version of Kyrie. Brooklyn, Toronto, Indy. Okay. Well, so Toronto would have the big question for them is they lost a lot of size. Um, Siakam was terrible in the bubble. Is that going to continue? I, I don't know if they're a mortal lot to be a look, top five team. All I'm saying is Washington is in that class now. They're in the discussion with the Indies and the Torontos. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Right. And 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 who knows what version of Brooklyn. We, we end up with and what their well, health situation is like. We just saw it with the Rockets. Like when you have two guys who are putting up huge stats, you, you're going to be good during the regular season because 
every single night, those guys are going to get 55 points. And now you can just fill whoever around them. Now, if the rookie that you took, Abdijah? I'm just going to call him Denny. Let's just Denny. call him Denny. We, Denny. we know Denny. We know how to talk about Denny's. Yeah, Denny. You've had a long, checkered, <laughs> fantastic history Not with Not checkered, Dennis. uncheckered. A spectacular. Che checkered for the toilets. But um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, Denny, if he can play this year, who else do you have? Thomas Bryant. Yeah, who was good last year. Yeah, Keep good, going. you know, energy guy. Rui. Rui might be somebody. Could he's be a, a guy. He's a rotation guy. He's a rotation guy. He could be yeah. like the seventh man on a on a good team. That's right. Who uh, else? Anybody uh, else? Th th that might be it. That's about it for all of the. If you go through the list of notables, those are, well, obviously Bertans. I mean, Bertans was oh, and the, Bertans. The, no, I mean, I, 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 for whatever reason, I assumed that we already. That's a big three in the East. I mean, it's a bigish three. Because if Bertans can be healthy, everything always in the NBA depends on health. If all three of those guys are healthy all season long and they're the version of the, the Washington team that Scotty Brooks, I imagine, thinks this team can be, which is up-tempo, right? The version that they tried the last couple of years, which was pretty entertaining. I mean, the game against Houston and uh, uh, November 2019, where the two teams scored uh, over 300 combined points. Right. I mean, it feels like 10 years ago. It was just a year ago. It was awesome. And if that's the version of, of Washington, we would just get out and run and try and score, score, score. That's fun. That could work. Well, we left out Robin Lopez, which was one of my favorite offseason signings. That's somebody <laughs> I really wanted the Celtics to get. You're laughing. I really like Robin Lopez. I we mean, had a Bulls-Celtics playoff series a couple years ago. And he was a beast. And I, I always feel like he's one of those guys on the right kind of team is somebody you need in a playoff series. And you have size. It seems like you're one wing short, depending on how Rui is. We talked. We didn't mention Ish Smith. You have Raul Nato this year somehow. I don't know why the, that happened. The, but they're, they're, I can say that both of those guys are on the team. You can play fast. And yes. then you got Robin Lopez, who I don't know. I actually like. I wanted the Celtics to get him. They got Tristan Thompson, which I was even more excited about, but he was a good backup plan, I felt like, because I've seen him have good moments on good teams. Like in the Bulls Celtics playoff series a couple years ago, he was a beast. He he was like kind of destroying us. And I, I feel like he was kind of wasted with the teams that he picked the last couple of years. My point is, you can play big and he can be the Steven Adams type of guy with Westbrook. Um, the big the big center could set some picks, maybe roll a little bit, um, protect him on defense. Or you could play a little faster, smaller lineup, play two point guards. There's some flexibility. You're probably a wing short, but I think you're going to be buyers this year because I think there's going to be a lot of teams if they're not in the playoffs trying to get rid of money because of the no fans this year. And that's going yeah. to be, that was why the Celtics got that big trade exception for Hayward. They know teams are going to want to get off money and there's going to be dudes available. So Lopez makes sense for what you just described as a guy that's going to bring some size. Otherwise the size was like Isaac Bonga and, and Thomas Bryant who plays, you know, whole variety. He can play the, the three, the four. Yeah. He's more malleable. He just runs. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I like the team. Now here's my favorite part of the trade. I have two favorite parts of the trade and we'll talk about the John Wall stuff after uh, my two favorite things of the trade. One, I said this a couple weeks ago, I really wanted Westbrook to go to, one of these mediocre or worse Eastern Conference teams 
and just be Russell Westbrook. Just be the guy in the action movie that is the movie. It doesn't even come out in the theater. It just is immediately on demand, but I kind of want to see it anyway. I think that's who he is. He's a best guy on a 41-win team. He could be one of the best two guys on a 47-win team. You're not winning the title with him, but really fun. He's going to bring it every night. He's going to bring energy swagger. So that's one thing. The second thing is, now he's on your team. You have to watch him. I'm so excited for the Russell Westbrook roller coaster ride that Joe House is going to go on. You're going to change your opinion on him a hundred times. He's going to have a game where he goes like 11 for 40 and, ah. and, and misses the game winning three. And you're just going to be like, I can't believe I talked myself into this trade. What was no, I thinking? I, I, I won't regret believing in the trade. Because there's no doubt that that John Wall's time here in Washington um, was, was had, had come at, to at an, an end. end. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I have every confidence that what you're describing in terms of the frustration that I will feel. Because look, I have bet on many games involving what Russell Westbrook, and I've counted on him successfully to sabotage the team that I bet against, <laughs> and that has worked. You know to mm. To, to to a terrific degree, many times in the fourth quarter, him taking ill-advised shots from six minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, onward. On the other hand, he has single-handedly caused me to lose bets right. as well by by making insane shots, by taking games over um, in the last handful of minutes. Those are all regular season games. But I'm I remember what, I remember one game we bet on together. When he just went full Russell Westbrook with like thirty, he made like a thirty footer. He was not even not even set. He's falling I, out I, of bounds. I know Remember the game. game? Yes, yeah, it was Houston against OKC, and Houston needed to win the game. It was one of the last three games right. of the That's season, two seasons ago. Right. Believe me, the gambling losses I remember, and it right. stung because he went off in the last two minutes, and he cost us a sizable wager. Well, he's so almost he's like one of those. Him. He's like one of those quarterbacks you don't want to bet on and you don't want to bet against. We One last thing on Westbrook. I'm really going to be interested to see how he resonates with DC and the DMV because there are certain guys that have clicked in the right way, right? I, I think Gilbert had that three-year run when he was just absolutely beloved, right? And, it, and John it, Wall had a couple years, which we'll talk about later, when, when he clicked. I think the stuff Westbrook does is actually going to be very popular, although you'll have no fans this year, so maybe it doesn't matter. Well, from a pure basketball standpoint, I think the city is ready for something new to be relevant again as a basketball town. I mean, we've been irrelevant for a handful of seasons now. Handful? Waiting out. Well, well it, just in terms like 40 of 40 seasons, well, it's, it's walls injuries. You know, we had yeah. this, this, the promise ever since the game that you mentioned when John wall made a game winning three in game six of the Eastern conference semifinals against the Celtics. You know, that was the promise of something dramatic, you know, wall and Beal as the backcourt of the future and one of the top five backcourts in the NBA. Uh, and that was the high watermark of John wall's career here in Washington. Uh, and the scores four, table four game. years ago. It really, yeah, the, that's yeah right. it really was. That's right. You know, but it's a good segue uh, into into Wall's connection with the city. So I don't know if you're ready to start talking about John Wall and what he meant to Washington. I'm ready to do that right after this break. 
This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So John Wall in the city of Washington, and you go back to 2017, which was the highlight of all of this and, the, and him on the scorer's table, game-winning shot. I went to game seven in Boston and Brett, it was the game, I, I had two takeaways from that game. One was that it was clear Bradley Beal was going to end up really being something. And it wasn't even like he was, you know, he didn't have 50 points or anything like that, but it was the same way I felt about Steph Curry when I saw him play that game seven against the Clippers, I was in person for that one too. There was, it was just so impressive how he handled the moment. And I felt that way with Beal. He was the guy I was afraid of as a Celtics fan. On the flip side, Wall, I thought the Celtics just figured him out. They were just playing way off him. They were slow. They were just basically preventing him from taking off on defensive rebounds. And they, and in half court, they were, just kind of trying to get in his head and make him shoot. And he was really limited. And it was one of the reasons they lost the game. And the question coming out of that series was, can this guy ever have all the tools if he's one of your two best players, where as the playoffs get harder and harder, does this guy have the offensive arsenal to actually make it past the final eight? Can he do it? My so, takeaway from that series was, I'm not sure he does. How did you feel coming out of that series? Well, the, the reason why you reached that conclusion and, and you're not wrong is because he and Beal played an unbelievable number of minutes in mm. those playoffs and in that series in particular. It was the only way for them to be competitive. So if you go back and look at the box scores of games six and, and seven, uh, Wall and Beal, there's a, a noticeable decline in their performance, fourth quarter especially, because they're just exhausted. They're exhausted. And yeah. your 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 point about, you know, what Wall's arsenal might consist of um, has to be thought about, you know, in a, we have to run about, you know, four hypotheticals. He doesn't get hurt. They put other wing players around him that take some of the pressure off those two guys. Uh, Wall matures. You know, this is the thing always, and we've talked about this um, ad nauseum when we've talked about the Washington Almost uh, Bullets on your podcast, the thing that I've always wondered about with John Wall is his leadership DNA. Um, he's the best player, but that doesn't necessarily make him a, a leader, a natural leader of men. He mm. for sure is a genuine guy, and that's part of why he was beloved here in Washington. He was eminently relatable. Everybody here will always remember the relationship he had with a young girl who had cancer, he went out of his way to establish a personal relationship with her. And he broke down and cried on television 
in a game that he dedicated to her after she passed uh, in Washington. He'll always be beloved in Washington for that. But that doesn't have anything to do with his capacity to be a basketball leader, a leader on the floor. And and I don't know whether or not they, they paid him as though he was both the best player on the team and capable of being a leader. And that leader part was always the element that was missing. But I'm not going to come on tonight and say bad things about John Wall because it was 10 years that coincided with Ernie Grunfeld. And it was 10 years that that uh, where Wall played hurt a whole bunch of years. The guy was tough as nails and he was a crazy athlete. I mean, that's one way that there is a kind of symmetry going from wall to Westbrook. You know, we're, we're going to get kind of an athlete that's comparable to what our minds remember about wall three years ago in, in Russell Westbrook and maybe a, a better version of, of that, while although you know the uh, efficiency stats are unfriendly to to Russell Westbrook, you know, go ahead. It is interesting they got traded for each other because those two in Rose, early Derrick Rose pre injury from two thousand eight on, when those three guys came in the league and really were dialing it up, it was sensational in person, and it, it got to the point where for the Clippers schedule, like I always tried to see those guys at least once when they came in, the combination of just baseline to baseline speed that they could turn on and off and the ferocity and the torque that they had when they were good, you know, driving to the basket at these weird angles where you, you really kind of feared for their safety, you know? When, when, and I think when, John Morant's like that now he's like yeah. the next guy like that, but it's a good it's, comp. I mean, you, you, uh, when Zach Lowe worked for Grantland, he did a video breakout about, uh, uh, well, maybe he he was. This was for ESPN. I don't remember the particulars, but he did a video breakout, like an eight minute clip on John Wall's passing ability mm. and ha- the position that he would put his body in, driving the lane, but knowing where he was going to pass the ball out to on the wing. And he made some wing players. He made careers for some guys. Martel Webster will forever thank John right. Wall. He'll be in John Wall's back pocket for the Your rest of Martel. his life. That's, that's because John Wall passed him the ball for those corner threes. Yeah, it's weird because and this happen, This happens over the course of NBA history sometimes where somebody gets a contract that is just absurd, right? This happened to Joe Johnson 10 years ago. And they just become the contract figure and the talent kind of goes away. And for Wall, that contract was so bad, especially after he got hurt, that his ability has been completely lost. You know, I think people think he's now a sunk cost because he had the Achilles injury. He's older. I'm not sure he's a sunk cost. You know, I saw Chris Mannix tweeted about uh, him and Harden were playing pickup basketball last few months and Harden obviously saw him what he could do and couldn't do. And I I think he would have thrown his body in front of this if he thought he was washed up. God bless the internet. There's footage. I mean, I watched some of it tonight on Twitter. You can see John Wall and, and, and Harden together on the court. Harden was checking John Wall in some of the sequences that I saw. Wall had bounce. Wall had explosiveness. Now, you know, it's a pickup game. It's an NBA uh, player pickup game. I mean, uh, Andre Drummond was there. There are a couple other guys, NBA players playing this thing. But Wall didn't look fat for one thing. And he yeah. didn't look slow and he was going to the hole and he was 
fearless. So like, if that's the version that you're going to get, it's, it's worth the risk possibly to Houston, especially if Houston's calculus is the relationship has, you know, soured to a point where it's not resuscitatable. We can't salvage anything in the relationship between Russell Westbrook and this franchise. And so just, you know, making a, uh, uh, a lateral trade possibly with the upside of, of wall. Now there is no precedent whatsoever, right? For a 30, a guy, a point guard who's over the age of 30. Yeah. Who's had knee surgeries, multiple knee surgeries and an Achilles injury and who hasn't played any professional basketball in, 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 you know, two and a half years, hasn't played 50 games of professional basketball in three years. Right. There's no, no precedent for that. Well, here's the, here's, is, is no, Sean it, Livingston like who who are we talking about? I think Tiny Archibald's probably the best comparison. He blew out his Achilles in the late seventies, missed like a year and a half, came back and had like two more really good years in the. But you, you said a year and a half. Like John Wall hasn't played fifty professional basketball games since two thousand seventeen. Right. He here's did play I, in two thousand eighteen, but still. Here's what I would worry about if I'm if I'm a Rockets fan trying to talk myself into this. He's just not a very good three-point shooter. And when I say he's not a very good three-point shooter, <laughs> I say he's a terrible three-point shooter. He's 32% for his career. He had, in 2015, shot 30%, and then 35%, 33%, 37%, 30%. But you go to the playoffs, which I I just think playoff three-point percentage is so much more interesting to look at for a variety of reasons. Playoffs. So he only made the playoffs four times. 2014. 21.9% three-point shooting. 2015, 17.6%. 2017, 344 And then 2018, 19%. And I bring this up because it seems like James Harden, like certain people around him, people who can shoot three-pointers. And that was the big struggle with Westbrook last year. And then finally they used Westbrook as like this weird roaming offensive rebounder, the baseline, foul line, post-up guy. John Wall's a point guard. John Wall's used to having the ball. Harden has the ball more than anybody in the history of the NBA, and I can't see for the life of me how these two are going to play together. Well, let's go ahead and explore that a little bit then. You're a guy who knows things. Yeah. Sitting here today, December the 2nd, 2020, how would you handicap the likelihood? What are the odds that James Harden is a Houston Rocket for all of the 2020-2021 basketball season? Oh, man. Can we bet on this? Because I, I say no chance. I thought before the draft, I thought Westbrook was going to go to Houston, and I thought James Harden was going to get traded for Ben Simmons and picks. And something is funky with that Philly thing, and I don't know if it's a Fertitta... Daryl Morey thing. I don't know if they feel like the Sixers might have maybe something uh, uncouth happened. Maybe maybe a tampering? communication that shouldn't have happened. I don't some, know. Some tampering, some touching. They're definitely there. There's definitely some suspicions on the Brooklyn side, right? And now Houston's like, "Fuck you, we won't trade you." How about that? Yeah. So, so that, it's going to be a staring contest. That's fine. But you look the trade a, that makes sense. Is yeah, we Philly. know it is. It's, it's, ben, it's Ben Simmons. And it's Pitt. Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons then playing what I think is his best optimal position, which is a forward kind of position. 
and John Wall as a very traditional kind of, of point guard. Can I say something that makes some sense? It's your, it's your podcast. No, about that trade that I've changed my opinion on. Oh, interesting. Okay, go ahead. I don't know if I would do it yet if I was Philly. Cause I Mm. like some of the moves they made to make the Simmons and bead thing work better. And you know, every, a lot of people have made this point. There are good advanced metrics with Simmons and Embiid together, five-man lineups when it's certain types of people in the lineup. They just had all the wrong people last year because they were poorly run and they made bad decisions. Now, it's, it's, it's a supporting cast that seems to fit better, right? Where you have, well, like, even like just having Seth Curry there instead of Al Horford. Sometimes you're going to That's a minor thing, right? No, it's not. At some no, point, you're going to have to explain to me why Dallas felt like Seth Curry was expendable. Not on this podcast. Sometime, though, as we get going here. I oh, I'll, I'll do it right now. Me. It'll take me 10 seconds. Go ahead. Josh Richardson, distressed asset, right? Somebody that we all thought was really good a year ago. He's a 3 and D guy who can do specific things. Goes to Philly. They have no point guard. He, especially in the playoffs, they're asking him to like create his own shot. That's not what he does. Now you put him with Luca. All he has to do is worry about defense and threes. And they feel like they can replace Seth Curry's offense with Tyrell Terry. Okay. And that he can grow into the Seth Curry role. And now they'll have two players instead of one. I think it's smart. Okay. That's uh, it. That that's the that's the explanation. If you're Philly, the Seth Curry thing, you know the JJ Redick, Ray Allen, that's the kind of guy Doc always likes to have. Spreading the floor more. All that. If I'm Philly, if Houston's like, we'll do Harden for Simmons straight up, I'd probably do it because James Harden's one of the five best players in the league. I'm not throwing in picks. Fuck you. Where else are you trading them? That's right. Honestly, that, it's like, that's the staring contest right here's now. My, here's my offer Ben Simmons. Well, we want two firsts and a pick. No, you're not getting any of that. Guess what? I'm really happy keeping Ben Simmons. He may, he's an all NBA player. And he's 24 and he's not, he's not had falling outs with his last three superstar teammates, which is what happened to James Harden, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and all of it ended badly. Now, Dwight well, Howard, I'm not saying that there was a, he didn't have a falling out with Westbrook. Westbrook got, got hurt for these playoffs. He wasn't ready to, to play playoff basketball in the bubble. That wasn't a falling out. They had a falling out, out where they, they traded Westbrook. Westbrook was unhappy. Talked Westbrook about how it was a weird culture. He demanded the trade because it is a weird culture. It's and a weird culture because of James the, Harden. It's a weird culture because of of the instability of the franchise. Daryl Morey and and D'Antoni left, and those guys were the stability that permitted. Wait a second. I, I know you don't Westbrook. believe this. No, Go you ahead. don't believe this. Would you want to be on James Harden's team? Does it look fun? Look. I am a hoops pervert. We began this podcast. I, I the, Do you like going to the playoffs every year? Do you like having a chance of contending against the very best? Look, it's not like they played Golden State in all those series and just got rolled. We were all disappointed right, and hardened because he didn't deliver what we thought he was capable of delivering. But I'll give you an analogy. effing close. I'll give you an analogy. When we used to play pickup basketball together a million years ago, at Holy Cross, who did we always try to pick to to run with and try to stay on the court with? We didn't go for the James Harden type where it's like, well, that guy's really good, but it's going to suck to play with him, but we might last for an hour and a half. We would try to pick guys that we would have fun playing with. Yeah. I we always love playing. Pick, 
he wouldn't pick James Harden and be like, hey, we could play with James. We'll be on the court for two hours. We would have looked at each other and said, eh. So I'm just <laughs> going to stand over there and not do anything and then have to guard a better guy than him. Fuck that. I'll go play with my friends. Yeah. I, there's got to be something to it. He can't be fun to play with. I don't know. It did. It didn't seem like Russell uh, was was uh, shy about getting his shots. It felt like he he was pretty comfortable operating in in that space. Well, he, J- James Harden seems to be patient zero for all of these departures. Uh, I'll just point that out. And it does seem like the culture of that team is just geared around him. How to how to get him is it's really not that much different than what happened with Westbrook and OKC. The difference is they were a championship contender with that formula and that's why you can't criticize it. I'm just saying it doesn't seem that much fun to be a supporting cast member. And and I think Westbrook with Beal, it's kind of perfect because that I actually really like that combo. And it reminds me a little of like when, you know, Beal is different than Durant, obviously for a variety of reasons, but it's a little Westbrook Durant-ish, right? Where Beal is a guy who can create his own shot. He can stretch the floor. Um, he can, he can carry stretches of games. You can go to him in crunch time, much like Durant, who's the best scoring forward ever. Um, there's a little piece of that, right? Where he takes pressure off of Westbrook. So there's moments where it's like, hey, Russ, give it to the guy who's a more guaranteed two points here. We're down one with 10 seconds left. Yeah, Stay that, out of the way. In that respect, sure. I mean, I don't get the the Beal Durant thing. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. I'm just ta- I'm just talking about scoring and but reliability. I think they're complementary. I think their games are complementary. I think the style of play is complementary. I think that there is a real opportunity for this to work, uh, and especially with Bertans. If you can get Bertans mm. taking those open shots, and he can shoot from thirty feet out. I mean, he showed. Uh, immense range. Uh, and there, there's still a, a piece yet um, for, for Washington. I don't know, uh, you know, what what flexibility they have um, in terms of additional moves. So they're, they're kind of like one player away. But still, uh, you know, your, your you know, what we call right. Bertans in my house. I don't know. Eighty million dollar Bertans. <laughs> this is a Latvian laser. Let it be. Eighty, <laughs> 80 million Bert. Let let the Latvian laser cook. I can't. I, I'm going to have an office pull for the first time you text me complaining about that contract I, that you're I'm, paying eighty million dollars for him. I'm not. You, I'm not going to complain about it. You talk yourself into Jan Mahimni pretty quickly. And then you're I like, talk oh, myself. It's shot blocking center. Eh, then that's I wa- the market then I, right now. Then I watched him play, <laughs> and, and I wanted his bum ass to go back to France. I mean, the the French players that made out in two thousand. Him and Nicholas Batum. That, oh my that, god! That that thievery that those two thieves, those French thieves, who <laughs> stole all that money from those NBA teams, and those two guys could give a shit about playing professional basketball. Well, I saw. I'm gonna say it was Shams. He tweeted about Batum to the Clippers, and he had a thing like Batum is expected to give the Clippers versatility and and shooting from the swing positions. I'm For, like, he he was the worst player in the league last year. What are you he's, talking about? He's going to give them versatility and shooting from the handicap stall. <laughs> that, that's, that's, his best, that's his best area to operate. Watch him cook in, in the bathroom stall. He, he still got, stinks. He stunk and he's been stinking and he stinks. Well, I read a story that he's in the best shape of his life. <laughs> so apparently paying him $27 million a year couldn't could motivate him to stay in shape. Well, maybe, now, maybe they can sign him. Maybe they can get Mahinmi too. Yeah, get all the French dudes, put them together. All right, before we go, um, 
you mentioned the John Wall legacy in, in DC. And since I've known you, so you're growing up as a kid, you get West on Selden, Elvin Hayes. And finally win the title, Bobby Dandridge. It's like some really fun Bullets teams. And we move into the 80s. There's a little Rulin and Mahorn, McFilthy and McNasty, a uh, little Frankie Johnson. Um, Jeff Malone. Jeff Malone. Great fun shooter. Teams, but yeah. not really contenders, but at least passable. Get to the mid-80s, Moses comes in. It's like, cool, had, we got Moses Malone. This is amazing. Had, but it was it was a different version of Moses. I had a cup of coffee with Bernard. And you had Bernard. So you're getting yeah. these former superstars, still relevant. And and it just kind of, as I knew you in the late 80s, and it just, the wheels just started to come off. <laughs> there was a Chris Weber era. Oof. There was some, there was some, some Googs. There was some Mitch Richmond. Uh, we go th- to the 2000s. Then Gilbert miraculously shows up. That was awesome. And he then that fell apart. For two seasons, yes. Incredible. And the wall thing. And it's just funny. Like you think... 40 years, what was the highlight? It probably was that 2017 coming damn close to making the conference finals. It's the closest they've been to the conference finals in 40 years. So yeah, yeah. that's right. But well, yeah. I like John. I like John Wall. I hope he Me makes too. it back. I don't. Me too. I don't feel like this is a good fit for him. But for you, look, the Wizards now, I think, are the are the heavy favorite to be the eighth playoff team. <laughs> they're at least they're at least the, the six. I mean, I, I like them. I'll pencil them in now for the six and hope hope for the five. I, I just am excited to have some relevant, interesting basketball. We're going to be able to talk about Washington basketball, yeah, for the first time in a couple years. And and you know, Bradley Beal's wife doesn't have to um, send out mean tweets and mean messages to all the sports writers about not giving Bradley enough love. We give Bradley love. Last question. Do they give zero to Westbrook? It's, he can have whatever number he wants. Whatever whatever Brody wants, he can have. Because it's funny. They never, gave, they never gave zero to everybody since Gilbert Arenas. It's like, wait a second. We're not retiring Gilbert Arenas' Wizards number. He was that, in a gun not. scandal. What are you yeah, doing? No. Give away the number. <laughs> that thing didn't end great. <laughs> I don't think that's a protected number. Whatever Brody wants, he can have. That's what I say. The Gilbert Arenas retirement ceremony would be really something. Uh, House, congratulations. Your your basketball team's fun again. Yeah, thank this you. This is fun. I, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It'll be something to talk about. I know that much. All right. We can hear you. Uh, Fairway rolling. You already taped it this week, but also uh, Warren Sharp on the Ringer NFL show. You yeah. and him do a little gambling breakdown. You and I have been just beginning sauced. Just, just crushed. <laughs> Football. You know what's not fun? Betting on COVID era football where just guys are scratched last minute. I finally, I'm telling you, that podcast that you, that where Warren and I have been together this season was absolutely the worst possible thing for me and my, my gambling. I was a guy that like would just barely dabble on football gambling, but my curiosity, all of the knowledge, hearing him talk and, and learning things from sharp, his sharp points every week. I'm so buoyed. I'm like, I learned something this week. I want to go apply it. And then I do absolutely the wrong thing. <laughs> And I've lost so much money on the NFL this season because I moved away from my discipline. I was disciplined. Just bet on a couple games at most. Nope, nope. I I want to try this thing and I want to try that thing. And next thing you know, uh, I'm done. Watch, but I, I'm done betting on games that are obvious public games. That's yeah. that's the one thing. I'm just not letting. I'm just would rather not bet than do that anymore. The Ve- <laughs> Vegas last week was the final straw for me. 
I understand. It's like, I love Vegas. Well, the public likes it. No, fuck it. I still <laughs> like them. I'm not doing that again. There, there's some teasers out there this week, including oh, Vegas. Shit. God damn it. <laughs> All right, House. Good to see you. Thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, we're going to do million-dollar picks in a second with this guy, Ryan Shazier. You can hear him on the Ringer NFL show with Cole Wright on Tuesdays. He was once upon a time an awesome Pittsburgh Steeler, and Ooh. I've been holding off having him on this podcast because I was waiting for the Steelers to lose because yeah, I didn't want him happened. gloating. I didn't want you gloating. I didn't want to see you all yeah. happy. But now it's like December, and they're, they're yeah. still undefeated, so I had to have you on. Yeah, you know, uh, I I didn't think that was gonna happen. You know, I don't think it's gonna happen this year, Bill. I don't think it's gonna happen. We just we're we're, we're too good. Obviously, yesterday we we played terrible, but uh, we're we're too good of a team this year, man. We might we might be one of the best teams in history. It might not look like it, but we are. Settle down, best teams <laughs> in history. What are you talking about? You don't believe that? Come on. Hey, man, it's not about a. Hey, it's not it's not about how it looks. It's about just getting the W's, man, and that's all that matters. As long as you I keep thought- winning. The defining play of the Steelers season, in my opinion, if you could take one play to show what the season's been like, it was Ben's third and six that clinched the game yesterday. That <laughs> it looked like the ball was shot when it was in the air. It's there's three guys around Washington, and he made an awesome play. It goes into traffic, gets it. He gets interfered with. They don't call it. Pulls it down. Basically, game over. But that's like a that the Steelers have been making those plays for three straight months. Yeah, to, to me. The, the play that defined the season was Benny Snell, Stiff Army, and Marcus Peters. Mm, that's a good yeah. one too. Yeah. yeah. The, re- the reason I say it is because it wasn't a, it wasn't a big game. It wasn't a pretty play. But you know, we we just got to get the opponent out of our way and just a and just keep continue pushing, man. So, uh, you know, it, it might not look it, not, it might not look pretty. You know, everybody loves pretty football, but you know, we're playing old school football, just playing great defense and, and getting the wins. Uh, you know. I love Ben, but throwing the ball 60 times kind of scares me. But, mm. hey, it's cool. Yeah, you know, th- winning winning close games, making that two or three plays that end up swinging a game is is a certain skill. And I certainly rooted. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Patriot fan. Yeah, no, I definitely, know. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely no, know. I definitely know that. Um, <laughs> there's a certain, the 2003-2004 teams before your time when they won 21 straight, and just over it, sometimes there were weeks that they weren't dominant, but they always got it done. They just kind of kept the chains moving. They got the big stop when they needed it. And it, it's a skill in its own way. And I look at the league and Pittsburgh out of all the teams seems to be the team that trusts itself the most. And I think, don't you think the biggest piece of it is just when you have the same coach and the same QB for that long, there's a calmness in certain situations that you just have. Yeah, it's definitely a calmness. Uh, you guys had that 
you know, for all the years you were successful until now. So uh, yeah. I'm happy that you guys are struggling right now, to be <laughs> honest. No, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a calmness. You know, when you're in a tough situation, but it's only two or three points, seven points, you know, even 14 points. 14 points is a stretch, but you always know that your coach is going to put you in a good position and your quarterback is going to always find a way to keep you in the game. You know, and I think that's the thing with the Steelers. We understand that in every game, we're always going to be in it. It doesn't matter what it looks like at the beginning or the end. We're going to always be in it. And you can always trust on Ben to make the right play in the right moment. Sometimes it might not look like the right play, but he ended up right. making it. And, um, you know, Coach Tomlin is going to find a way to get a, a turnover or find a way to pit uh, our best players in position to make plays, you know. So um, every time I was in the game, you know, I never felt like, oh, this team is better than us or all oh, this team is going to outcoach us. I always felt that we will always be in the game no matter what. Even when we had pretty, pretty bad uh, records at the beginning of the season, we always felt that Coach Tomlin is going to find a way to keep us in this game. You know, so um, we always felt conf confident over there. And you always just trust the guys you're playing with. And I think that's a big component when it comes to winning. A lot of times people just look at, you know, the depth chart and like, oh, this, this is the best depth chart they're going to win. But it's not always about that. It's always about, you know, when you trust your guys' selflessness and just really just going out there and just feeling comfortable and calm when you're playing. Well, you can do a couple things that I like, right? You can... You could move the ball quick because you have great receivers, especially, you know, I think that Baltimore game, the first one, when they were down and they came roaring back, mm. I just have a lot of skill dudes. And yeah. all of a sudden the Steelers can score 17 points in ten in a 10-minute stretch in, you know, the third quarter or something. So they always have that component. Um, and then the Roethlisberger piece, even though his arm, there's some throws where you're just <laughs> like, oh, man, is he hurt? And then he'll zing the next one. So it's it's almost like I I don't know what to think about him anymore. I mean, you've you obviously played with him and you've been watching him for a while. What what do you think of him throw to throw? What, is there any rhyme or reason to this? No, I'm not gonna lie. As a, as a teammate of Ben, you always know like, hey, we're in this game no matter what. But he does make some throws that you're like, like you, you you're looking at the other guy like, did he just throw this? <laughs> like, right? You know, and and but. I think he just trusts in himself so much that he goes out there and slings it. And I'd rather have a gunslinger than somebody that's just going to sit back and hold the ball. You know, because we have, like you said, we do have weapons, and Ben always has weapons. And, you know, as long as the weapons are actually catching the ball, like yesterday we weren't catching the ball at all. But yeah. as long as they're actually catching the ball and, and making things happen, Ben's going to always trust them and try to keep the ball in their hands. So, yeah, Ben, ben does scare you sometimes, but... One, one game, he might go out there and throw a pick when you're like, man, Ben, why you threw that? And then go back out there and throw five touchdowns. So it's just, you just, sometimes you never know what you're going to get, but it's it's always good to have him on your side than the other side. Well, you need him more than ever this year because I, I think if there are two weaknesses uh, of this team, the first one would be it's a pretty mediocre running game. Yeah. Right. 100%. And so you're, you're up three with four minutes left and you just need a first down odds are you're not running for that first down. Like Ben's going to have to make a play and he's going to have to go to Claypool or Washington in traffic. Or if everybody's stacking the line, then maybe Juju deep, whatever. But it's he's going to decide that first down. You're not just going to be able to run for it the way like Tennessee would be able to. See, the, thing, the, the, the one thing that's a misconception with the Steelers, though, is that we actually sometimes just don't even try, though. Like, yeah. we have, we have, like, we were averaging almost three yards of carry all the way into the fourth quarter when we start running the ball more 
And but we just we just weren't running the ball. Like we had 50 passes to 13 runs and 13 runs and 40 yards. 13 runs and 40 yards isn't that bad. Like that's not bad. Cause if you're averaging like three and a half yards of carry, that's a first down every time you run the ball. Like in mm. after three times you run the ball. So we weren't really we weren't really running the ball effectively. But I think a lot of times when we don't see like splash runs or just consistently a five or ten yard run, we just get away from it extremely fast. And um, that's the one thing that does scare me with this team. And, and we do need Ben for that. So can we try to do a lot of short passes and make those yeah. runs? And you do those short passes, you know, third and four, up, got batted down. Ah, uh, went off the guy's hands. Like, all of a sudden, you're opening all this kind of stuff. And you don't really have, like, the great tight end to go to either. What would you do if you were the defensive coordinator against the Steelers team without giving too many secrets? Um you would like if I, I'm thinking like if Belichick was playing this team in a playoff game, which actually conceivably could happen. His I don't goal, see it happening. I don't see well, it. Well, it could. It could be a two seven. <laughs> Just give me that. Come on, I could be six and six after this weekend. I'm, I'm still entertaining thoughts. Y'all my team's to, terrible. Y'all gonna have to win. A, y'all gonna have to win a playoff game to play us. Well, I'm saying if K- Casey catches you. No, we're not losing any games. So okay. I'm just so. I'm, I'm, I'm talking it out. <laughs> Belichick plays you in the playoffs, and he's basically going to be like, I'm not letting you throw the ball, and I'm not letting you get big plays. So if you want to rush Connor and Snell 45 times for four to five yards of pop, go ahead, be my guest. But what I'm not going to do is let you throw. The, the thing is, if you actually look at James's stats, when he gets like 15 to 20 plus carries, he always have a, a, a monster game. Always. But it just, we never really, especially this year, we really never have been letting him get to that. So, so you think they're saving him? I don't know if they're saving him. I don't, I don't think they're saving him, but we need to run the ball more. <laughs> yeah, we, I we think you to, do too. Especially we, we now need, in December, January. This is when yeah. you have to establish it. Yeah, we need, we need to run the ball more. Um, but I feel if a team is just like, First of all, Ben is not the type of person that's going to let you be like, you're not going to throw it on me. Like, that's like saying to Mahomes, we're not going to let you throw it on me. And it's right, like, right. I, I'm not saying Ben is Mahomes, but he he has that type of mentality. He's like, yeah. you're not you're not going to try me as a quarterback like that. So right. I feel he's going to attempt he's going to attempt to try to be a good passer. But we, we're going to have to run the ball better. We're, we're going to have to run the ball better. And I really feel if somebody tried to put us in a running match, like we have to run the ball, I think we can because... James is still a good enough running back. If you go on nickel personnel and we're in, in in pro set, he's still a good enough running back. He's going to get five yards and pop at then. But if you start stacking the box, that's when I feel it's going to be a problem for us running. Well, the other issue, I mentioned you had one issue, which was the running game. The other one is you had two terrible injuries. Yeah, You lose Devin yeah. Bush, and then this week you lose Bud Dupree. And... I would say you had four truly elite defensive players, and now you're now you have two. Yeah, that 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 really hurt. That really hurt. Um, losing losing Bud is huge because him and him and TJ were running mates. You've seen in the stats, it said that they had the most sacks between two people this season, and I it, it just sucks to see that that he got hurt. Man, he's been having two monster years. Last year he had a great year. This year he was just doing exactly the same as last year. And um, what, what really makes it sad for me because me and Bud are friends, and and uh, I, I feel feel sad because he had a, a, a he has a huge contract coming up, and you know, know. When, you, when you have when you get injured, it, it, it always it always puts doubt in your mind if if you're going to get the contract that you're supposed to get. But I think he is because well, he, it's he, even he, worse than that though because they franchise tagged him. Yeah, and this is the problem with the franchise tag, right? Where the team is basically saying, 
yeah, we're going to roll it over, but you still don't have the security of the long-term deal. You get paid yeah. for one year, but the risk is I could get hurt. And now yeah. it's it's like Dak Prescott had the same thing, obviously, but, yeah. um, but I think, that's where it sucks. To me, I always felt that that the Steelers were going to re-sign Bud, me personally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if he went to free agency, he'll probably get more money. But now we have to see how that works. I feel like now they're definitely going to re-sign him. Uh, Just but, for less. I mean, he's not going to get, he's not going to have like Arizona coming in over the top or some other team being like, hey, yeah. here's a but, giant check. I don't know. You don't. You don't think so? Because he got hurt. He he, he was last year. He had eleven and a half sacks. This year he had nine. You know, so he was on a he was on a track to get ten plus again. So he is that would be considered an elite pass rusher. You don't think he'll? No, but when do him? you when do you get him back though? Because even ACL, even if it's like ten months, that's still taking you like six weeks into the season. So oh, you're yeah. paying this premium price. The other thing I think is. You know the cap might go backwards next year because they didn't get revenue well, yeah, from attendance. Yeah, rev- you know, yeah, the, yeah, so the I do think I bet my guess would be the Steelers would take care of them because yeah. I think they're pretty. I would say out of all the NFL franchises, one of the stand-up franchises, and they'll yeah. probably do right by them. But it's a bummer because I, I yeah. think he would have been one of the marquee guys. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel he probably if 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 not, he probably been top five highest paid free agency players if he went to free agency next year. Hundred percent. Um, you've talked about Tomlin on Ringer NFL show, but not uh-huh. on this podcast. What obviously one of the most special coaches we've had last 20 years in mm-hmm. whatever the 21st century Mount Rushmore is. He's on it. You, he's got to be on it. It's got to be him and Belichick and Andy Reid. And, and is it Pete Carroll? Uh, Jim Harbaugh or Pete Carroll, right? For the fourth. I, I mean, me not, not Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh. I mean, the Ravens, yeah, yeah, Ravens yeah, yeah. Harbaugh. Yeah. I, me personally, I would take Pete Carroll because yeah. I feel like he's been more consistent winning mm. since he's been there. You know, John Harbaugh, like, he'll have, like, like three or four, like, really spectacular years. Then he'll, like, fall off. And then he'll come back and then, like, fall off a little bit to me. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's, it's probably 4A, 4B. But I, I think I agree with you. Carroll, since he got to Seattle, every year they're a con- contender they're contender. close. So what... Give us one thing that makes Tomlin special that I wouldn't know just from watching TV from my couch every week. So I think a lot of people know that he seems like a really sociable guy. Well, just to his players. I feel the one thing that he does really well is that he understands how each of his players react to criticism, reacts to coaching, and he's trying to coach each of them different. You know, mm. uh, so for instance, like Antonio Brown, he was a character, you know, so, uh, and I'm not, and he was obviously the best receiver at the time. So you have to coach Antonio a little different because the way he takes criticism is totally different than how I took criticism, you know? Yeah. So like for me, you can't out me in front of everybody. It's going to make me mad. And I'm like, dang, but I'm going to be okay. You know, when you out Antonio or something, he's going to get more into his feelings. Like if you out Ben, Ben, he's more of a type of person. He wants one-on-one criticism and then, you know, and then just talk about it amongst yourselves while some other people, they need to be said in front of the team and mm. this guy isn't playing well, He and then you see he performs better. So it's just, like, every player is a little bit different. So I think he does that. He does that uh, really, really well. Uh, another thing he does really well is when he sees that a group is struggling or in uh in a, in his in his team. So for instance, if he sees the linebackers are struggling this year, or he sees the tight ends or receivers struggling this year, he actually starts to put more emphasis on that group to try to help them propel 
And I know a lot of times if a coach just see a, a, a group struggling, they might might want to make a change on the coaching or something like it's that dude's fault. But they, that group might just be having a bad year or those guys aren't just playing well at this time. So he'll come in and start adjusting more to help that group out. Belichick does start, that too. That, seem, that yeah. seems like the highest level of coaching when yeah. they can just kind of come in almost like the guest guest yeah. chef in the kitchen and just make a couple suggestions and fix yeah, it. Yeah, because, because at the end of the day, a coach, or, a coach is supposed to, you know, delegate to the other coaches. But at the end of the day, whatever they put out on the field is your product. You know, so he wants to make sure that they're playing the way he wants to play. And if they're not, he's going to try to make some changes or fix it up so they that guys start playing better and it looks the way he wants it to look. And I know he does that a lot. And I know from talking to my friends when I was playing in the NFL, they'll say their coaches aren't as hands-on. Uh, an- another thing that uh, I used to do with Coach Tomlin, and I know Coach Tomlin, he loves football. He's in there so early in the morning. I used to be in there at five, six in the morning watching film and our meetings were until nine. But at five, six in the morning, Coach Tomlin is still one of the first people at a facility. Mm. And when I would be in the facility, you know, me and him got really close because if if it's only five people in the facility, you know, at six in the morning, you're going to start bumping into each other every day. And now you're going to start actually just talking about what's going on. And me and him start having meetings every single morning. And when he sees that somebody is truly dedicated to being great, he puts more effort into that player. And you see it. Like, if, if you see guys that aren't, like they're, they're just doing a nine to five, just clocking in, clocking out. He understands those guys. He still coaches those guys, still try to help those guys. But the guys that he sees that's actually putting that extra effort, he, he puts the extra effort in them too. So, Were you always a 6 a.m. guy, like even in college? So in college, I was always later. Um, I would stay up later and watch film. Um, after like I'll have tutoring and then after the tutoring, I'll just go back and just see what the teams are doing so I can just be prepared. But then when I got to the NFL, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, my first few years, I didn't say I was slacking, but I was just like, you know, I'm just figuring things out. I didn't know how things would go. And then uh I ended up getting a personal trainer and then me and him just trying to figure out when was the right time to start working out together because it was kind of hard to do it after workouts because I was doing treatments. And then we start working out at seven in the morning and when I come in at seven in the morning Mike Mitchell who, who used to be the safety there and Will Gay they'll be watching film at eight so I was like oh man I can get an hour in with them and you know still go to the meeting and get an hour so I can I can be prepared before everybody else and then I started liking it so much I was like man I'm spending so much time with these DBs we're only watching def- defensive back stuff I need to start watching linebacker stuff to, to know the running game better so then I told our trainer I was like man I was like, how early do you think you can go in? Like, we can wake up. He was like, man, if, uh, uh, how early you want to go? And then, so we we went at six. I mean, we, so we start working out at six. And it was like, how about how about we work out at five? So we worked out at five. I'll get there at six. And then from six to nine, I'll just be watching film. But I'll get that two hours to actually watch what I want to watch. Because by the time everybody else come in, you know, once people start coming into the building, you just start talking and you're watching film. But then you start getting sidetracked and this and that. But if you're in there for two hours by yourself, there's no sidetrack. So, you know, I think that's why the draft is such an inexact science, right? Because you're yeah. drafting these kids who are 20 and 21 and 22 years old. Yeah. And even you, you were a high pick, but it maybe it took until you were 25 before you really realized that last thing you needed to do to make you yeah. great. And I don't know how you evaluate that with somebody who's 21 because they might not, they might never get it. All of a sudden, they might get belatedly get it. 
I don't know. I don't know how you, you do can't, it. You can't really, you can't really uh, evaluate that. A lot of times the way to evaluate that is like when you're talking to somebody and you're just like, hey, what is your vision a lot of times? And then if you see a guy say some something like, hey, I want to be great or something. Because like, a lot of guys, like I talked to a lot of guys and it was like, and I was like, man, I want to make the Hall of Fame. Like, my goal is to make the Hall of Fame. And it was like, and me and me and uh, God knows, like, I don't, I, Ryan, I don't think I ever played with anybody that said they wanted to make the Hall of Fame. Everybody just, everybody just played football. And I was like, right. well, my goal is to make the Hall of Fame. Like, I, I'm trying to be one of the best people to play. And if you see guys that say stuff like that, or you see guys, like, when you're talking to them and other people are always saying, like, they're working out extra, or you see them in here more, I feel like those guys are the ones that you see propel. But when you're just trying to go strictly off of talent or yeah. just what you see, it's a lot harder. Because, like, Aaron Donald, I, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh, and he lives in L.A. If I was in L.A., I would be training in the offseason in L.A., you know, not in Pittsburgh, because we just got uh, a gallon of snow just dumped on us today. You <laughs> right, know? So, right. You know, but he will be he will be here if it's the offseason, and he's training inside our facility, not in the Steelers facility, because Pitt and, the Pitt and the Steelers facilities yep. are right next to each other, and we share the same indoor. So we'll be in there, and he'll be in there. And you see him, it's snow outside, and he's— doing drills, working out, and it, it's in the dark and there's nobody, you see nobody else but Aaron Donald in there. But that that shows you why he's the best player while it's other guys, you know, that say, hey, I want to be great, but they're at home eating pizza and it's like, man, it's the offseason. I'm not doing nothing right now, you know, so. Right. Well, you know, I think about this a lot with the NBA and I know you're a, you're a Spurs mm -hmm. fan, which I, yeah. I was, you told me that I was surprised. But, you know, I was trying to evaluate these lottery picks and these, whoever. And over and over again, it's the same kind of guys who make it. It's these dudes who are gym rats. And you talk, the college coach is like, this dude is just, he's shooting every day. All he wants to do is be great. And then you see somebody like Dame Lillard, who I missed on. Cause I was like, I oh, he's 22. Did. Yeah. It's like, he's 22. He's going to Weber state, whatever the fuck it was. And, uh, it's <laughs> like, oh, he's not get out of here. And then you actually read what he was like and, and, from, you know, where he grew up and the stuff he overcame and then how much he put into it and just, he wasn't going to be denied. And Portland saw it. And Portland yeah. was like, if we get this guy, we can, this guy could be a franchise guy for us potentially because he actually gives a shit. And yeah. it seems like in the NBA teams are starting to look at that more. I know that was a big thing for the Celtics with Tatum, yeah. where they were just like, guy's an amazing athlete, but he's a gym rat, which means sky's the limit because he's really yeah. going to put in the time and the work. Football, I guess it's a little harder to figure out, especially as guys are growing in their bodies and all that stuff. The reason I feel like it's harder with football, like basketball, you have to be a gym rat. If you're not in there shooting, your shot is, is your shot's going to be broke. Like you, you, yeah. you have to always practice, like always practice shooting. But sometimes with football, some guys are just naturally God gifted to earth. You know, like Martavius Bryant, for instance. Yeah. Martavius, like, he looked at, like, Calvin Johnson, but he just wasn't as, like, 230. But he had all the attributes. He had everything you can imagine. But he was a guy that always wanted to miss practice, never wanted to do nothing, just wanted to go out there and play football. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a lot, and it's a lot of guys like that in the NFL, and they're phenomenal football players, and they might be some of the best players, you know, but at the end of the day, the, it's, so it's kind of harder with football. With basketball, if 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 your main guy is not in there shooting, that means he he doesn't really love it or or conditioning. He, if he's yeah. yeah, if he's fifteen pounds overweight, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah it's hard to hide. Yeah, it's, it's hard to hide in hoops. But like with football, it's it's a little bit easier because you know it takes more time to actually start back up your season. 
you know, you have training camp and things like that. And some guys are just just naturally gifted. Like, I don't know why I was able to just be born and be able to jump a 42-inch vert and run a 4-3 and be 230 right. pounds. Like, I, I have no control of that, you know. So, But I still work my ass off. But it's right. guys that are my size that don't work their ass off, but they're still all pro. All, not, I'm not going to say all pro, but all yeah, I got pro, bowl, pro bowl talent players, you know, so. Last, uh, back to Tom on one second. Um, he seems like a guy, pregame speech, halftime speech kind of guy that you would actually get fired up. And I think there's yeah. a couple coaches like that. Like, I know Pete Carroll's like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a couple coaches where it's like when you watch the sports movie, like Al Pacino on any given Sunday, and he gives that perfect speech to get the team fired up. And it doesn't actually happen in real life. But Tomlin seems like somebody who would actually be able to do it. Was it was he like that? Yeah, no, so coach the thing is with Coach Tomlin, he he would give you a speech. Like he would like whenever he gave me the pregame speech, I'm like, man, I'm I'm ready to play football. Like mm. I'm ready to play. Like, but and, and the thing is, it, it's so crazy because his pregame speech might not even be like, like, you know, Appuccino in any given Sunday. He was like, and we have to go out here. Like, he would be like, Man, you know, yesterday I was at my son's game and then something would happen to his son, and then it's just like why does this relate with me? You know, right. I want to go play football. And this, and like he would he would talk about stuff like that, or he would talk about stuff that really relates with you. And yeah. well, it related with me, and I always wanted to play. But at halftime, Coach Tomlin would just pretty much be like, yo, like we're playing like ass. Like, <laughs> you know, right. and we gotta figure this shit out. Like, he's more yeah. about that than trying to like try to hype you back up. He was like, trying to hype y'all ass up is over now. It's, we need to go out here and play football. And, and like, he's more about football than than anything else. And I think that's another reason the Steelers are really successful. Like, I remember a friend of mine was like, man, when I was at the Giants, man, uh, they would they would make me, uh, I would get fined if I was on my phone in the locker room. I'm like, you, you, so you, didn't, you weren't having no meetings, you weren't doing anything. And it was like, no, nah, I would just, I'm like, and it, I was like, the Steelers and Coach Tomlin is like, man, like, don't bring the, the phones upstairs, but do you, but when it's time to work, work, you know, right. be grown men about it. And I feel like that's another reason he's, he's a great coach. And when it comes to football, it's only about football that really matters. Well, here's what you have for the Steelers. You have five games left. Week 13, Washington at home two, at five o'clock on a Monday. Weird, because they have that weird Monday schedule. So you got Man, that. I'm, I'm, t I'm tired of them just tearing up our schedules. It just, it's crazy. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that in a second. Week 14, Buffalo, Sunday night at Buffalo. So that would be the hard one. And Buffalo, on paper, seems like they're playing better. I'll go into some reasons why I think they might be in trouble in that Niners game. But that's going to be a tough one. That'll be the game of the year for Buffalo. Okay. They're home. Yeah. They have a chance to maybe, you know, get a three seed and lock down the AFC East beat the number one seed, all that stuff. They when is have, the last time, when is the last time Buffalo had a Sunday night game at home? Oh my God, it's been, I, I can't even imagine. It's got to yeah, have, have been a long time, right? It has, uh, it has to be. Then you got week 15 at Cincinnati. They don't have Burrow, so you'll be at least, you know, 11 point favorites in that game. Week 16, home for Indy, who, Indy seems like the good bad team in a lot of ways. As long as they're playing somebody who's mediocre or worse, they look great. But if they're playing a really good team, I don't know about them. And then uh, Cleveland at Cleveland, week That's seventeen. Good. Now That's that game tough. might not mean anything. Uh, we just, I, honestly, I think that game is not going to mean anything because I think the Chiefs will lose another one. 
Right. So if you're 15 and 0, what does Tomlin do? What do you think? Coach Tomlin is all about winning. Right. So you go for the 16 and 0 because that's what Belichick was like. Belichick's like, we're 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 not rolling over for a game. Let's go for it. Yeah. Especially if the game doesn't mean anything, it's gonna be hard. But you know, at the end of the day, if you're going for like the record books too, it's kind of hard not to to go for it. You know, I think because, he's gonna go for it. Yeah, you have you have to go for it, like. Because if you win all your games and you'll technically go 16 and 0, then you have the playoffs. So, would you go 20 and 0 if you win every game? It would be 19 and 0 because you get a buy in the first round. Yeah. yeah 19 so and 0. Three playoff games. Yeah. So, I feel if you do, you'll be the only team to ever go 19 and 0 in history, and you'll be the, I, I, me personally, if I'm the coach, I'm going for it. <laughs> you know, I'm going for it. So, you know what I'll, I'll say if, if you go 19 and 0? I'll say Astro yes. season. It was the COVID season. Didn't oh count. my gosh. Oh didn't my count. gosh. Astro season. <laughs> so is it like that for the Lakers? Is it like that for the Lakers? <laughs> yeah. As far that, that's where I've settled into as a Celtic fan. <laughs> I've decided to put an asterisk next to it. Uh, we're gonna do million dollar picks in a second. Let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core. You'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, so before we do the picks, you mentioned this goofy schedule with the games getting yanked around. We saw it with Pittsburgh where they thought they were playing Monday, then it was Tuesday, then it was Wednesday. As a player, don't you have to start peaking mentally a couple days before the game to get ready for the game? How do you do that if it keeps moving? Yeah, no, it's, it's extremely frustrating. I, I was talking to uh, Vince Williams who was playing, and I know he had said something before was about, man, we're just trying to play. We'll play whenever. And they, they do want to play whenever. But I talked to him the day before on Wednesday, and he was talking about how he's super excited about playing on Thanksgiving. You know, that's a that's an amazing moment. You get to play on Thanksgiving. Obviously, the Steelers played on Thanksgiving a few times, but the Sunday night game on Thanksgiving, I mean, the Thursday night game on Thanksgiving is probably, like, the biggest football game of the year when everybody's watching, technically. True, yeah. You know, so, and, so those guys were hyped up and ready to play. Uh, but just in general, you, you, you are pretty hyped up and just like, all right, it's time to go. And the day before the game, you're always like, all right, we got a game tomorrow. But it, for it to keep moving like that, it, it does throw you off because it moved on the Steelers four times or three times. Yeah. So when they when they were on Saturday, on, I mean, on Sunday, they told them it was going to be on Monday. No, right, yeah, they, told yeah. Them, no, they told them it was going to be on Monday. Then, so the Sunday before, you're like, all right, we're getting ready. And then you're thinking about going to the hotel, but then they move it back again. So now you don't go to the hotel then next day, you're like, I'm going to the hotel. Then they then they move it again. It's like, all right, now you're thinking, when am I going to play this football game? Because like mentally, I, it's kind of draining because you just you you like hyping yourself up, not even hyping yourself up, but just preparing yourself for a moment. But it it, it ended up happening literally a week later than you actually prepared, which is crazy, ridiculous. 
All right, million dollar pick. So I'm going to go through some games I like. I'm going to bounce them off you. And then I'll decide at the end what I'm doing. All right. First one. So I'm lumping three games together. But the the most important piece of it is Titans minus six over the Browns. Okay. So Tennessee's 12th in DVOA. Cleveland's 22nd in DVOA. Uh, Miles Garrett is back for the Browns, and that has to be factored in because you could say he's somewhere between the second and fourth most impactful defensive player when he actually plays. Mm-hmm. You also have everybody likes Tennessee again because they've won a couple times. Now everybody's like, oh, Derrick Henry, MVP, here we go. And that's always a red flag. Um, two really good running games. And it's one of those games where whoever goes up 10 to three, you'll just feel like that team's going to win. So it's almost like who gets the lead first. The thing I keep coming back to, Cleveland's rushing DVOA for their rush D, 27th out of 32. So you can like really, really, really run on them. And that's what Tennessee loves to do more than anything. And I keep thinking about this, like I was thinking about the Browns in general, right? Where somehow they're eight and three. Every year there's a team right around now where you're like, how the fuck are those guys eight and three? <laughs> it's just confusing. Um, week six, they get killed by Pittsburgh. 38-7. It's a demolition. They get destroyed. And then they lose Odell. Um, they barely beat Cincinnati. They lose to Vegas 16-6. Bad weather. And then bye week. And then they beat Houston by three. They beat that crap Eagles team by five. They beat Jacksonville by two. And now people are like, oh, the Browns. Eight and three. And it's like, eh. <laughs> Look at those wins. What, you know, who are they I never beating? thought about that. I never thought about that. Like, you actually going back and talking about every single win they have, it makes it. It makes me not think they're like, they don't deserve to be an 83 team. Like, and like what you said. It, well, it makes listen, a lot of listen sense. to this. Here are their wins. They beat Cincy twice. They beat Washington and Dallas. They beat Indiana, Indianapolis. That's probably their one decent win. Um, and then they beat the the Houston, Philly, Jacksonville gauntlet for the last three. I mean, really, Indianapolis is their best win. And I feel like if I, like, and I actually bet on the Browns a few times because I do think against bad teams, they can run the ball, get the lead. Stefanski's a good coach. He'll he'll be really careful how he uses Mayfield. The question for me is like, what happens if they're behind? What happens if the other team can start running on them? And I actually think they have a chance to get beaten up pretty badly. So we're going to mark that game. Second one, this is every week the rest of the year. I am just putting in a bet together the two teams that are playing the Jets and the Jaguars because (laughs) Trevor Lawrence is waiting. Neither team has any incentive to win. And this week we had the Vikings by 10.5 over the Jaguars and the Raiders by 9.5 over the Jets. So mark those down because we're going to come back to them because what I think I'm going to do, are you familiar with teasers? Mr. Shazier? Yes. So uh, you're going to have to teach me a little bit more about betting because the reason I haven't really got into it is because I feel that I will start betting too much. Oh, this so. is this is a dream come true to teach you about gambling. <laughs> so here's what here's one of the things you can do. You do a three-team 10-point tease. You can move the line 10 points for each game, but all of them have to win. So okay. I can move the Vikings to a half point. All they have to do is beat the Jaguars. Okay. I can move the Raiders to, Raiders to plus... Half point. All they have to do is beat the Jets. And then I can use that 10 points with the Titans and make them plus four. So So all they have to do is win. All they have to do is lose by three and I win my bet. So they could actually lose by field goal. I still win. 
So I was thinking about teasing those three together. Mm, I have a little buffer with the Titans. So mark that one down. But the real reason is the Jaguars don't want to win anymore. The Jets fans will riot if they win a game. Like the Jets fans are like, can we just, can we just do this correctly? Can we go on 16 one year? Uh, Have you thought about what would it be like to be on a team that the fans want them to lose every week? I won't be surprised if the Jets win this week. Really? Why? Give me that made case. The reason, the reason I say that is because the Raiders are so up and down as a football team. Yeah. And that's the only reason I, I feel I don't have like a strong case for them at all. I don't have a strong case for them. So the I, case, I, I, the I case like, against that, the case against that would be the Raiders had their shit game last week. So now this is the zig. And then next week they'll suck again. There might be one of those teams, right? The team that uh, just every week they're up and down. I, this is my question for you. If you yeah. Trevor Lawrence, would you go to the Jets? We have to think of the upside of I am in I am a New York City quarterback. Like think if Herbert was on the Jets right now, but the, the New York fans would be so excited for him. But they'll still be 0-11. Right. You're going to a bad organization. So what would you do if you were Lawrence? I would do what Eli Manning did and John Elway. You know, at- that's that's the NBA player move, right? Where the NBA <laughs> players are just like, no, I'm going to play where I'd like to play. I, and that's what I'll be doing. Like Anthony Davis. I, I, I think he has enough leverage. I feel like he has enough leverage to do it. Like, they're saying like he's the next coming of a great quarterback. I don't see why not. The funny thing is, Eli did that. And I, I was, I'm old enough to remember when Elway did it. Everybody lost their fucking minds. It was like, he's not going to play for Baltimore? What What a dick. Oh my God, what a jerk. And it's like, guess what? Nobody remembers that now, 37 years later. Not one person remembers he did that. The thing is, when you demand a trade in football, you become a villain. Like, yeah. people hate you. If you demand a trade in basketball, everybody's like, he's just trying to better his career. It's right. Like, it's yeah. like, so He only has so many years to earn money. He should be able to do what he wants. Because yeah. I, I thought what Anthony Davis did to New Orleans was like really genuinely lousy. He signed this five-year extension and then halfway through it was like, yeah, I want, can you guys trade me now? And, <laughs> yeah. and can you only trade me to the Lakers and take no other offers? And everybody said, no, no, he's using his leverage. I, I never sat right with me. All right, next game. All right. Colts. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with this one, but I just want to talk about it. Colts are minus three and a half over the Texans. All of the public money is on Indianapolis. And here's what that means. The public always loses in gambling. Every week, there's like two or three bets and everybody's like, oh, that looks easy. And then they lose. And that's why they keep building casinos in Vegas. (laughs) Indianapolis by DVOA is seventh. Houston is 17th. Houston had, they lost Will Fuller and they lost another guy to PEDs. Who who was the other guy they lost? I'm I'm blanking. One of my best friends. One of my best friends. Brandon Bradley Roby? Roby. Bradley yeah, yeah. Roby. Yeah. Bradley that's Roby. My, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my best friends. <laughs> so, I was like, bro, what are you doing? So they <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's always an accident when it happens. They always say mm. they didn't know, they didn't know it wasn't there. So two guys, so now everybody's like, oh, the Colts will obviously win. Well, the Colts look like dog shit last week. And the Colts are a team that you can watch them in the first quarter and kind of know what's gonna happen. I don't know. This game is suspicious to me. They're only three and a half point favorites. The Texans are playing for nothing. Aren't it the Texans on like a four-game winning streak or something like that? A three-game winning streak? Three-game winning streak. And Deshaun has been cooking. So I I, I kind of want to take the Texans, but I don't have the balls so, to do it. So so that means that the Texans lost two receivers this week? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm about to go with the Colts. I know. Hmm. I, I, 
Because the reason I'm going with the Colts is their defense is one of the top five defenses in the league. We're number one, but last week they looked terrible. Um, and and uh, it's it's hard to play quarterback when you don't have as many receivers. Brandon Cooks is good, but I don't know if the other guys can do it. Well, the other thing with the Colts, Jonathan Taylor is coming back this week, the rookie running back. He was on the oh, COVID yeah. list. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so they have all their weapons back. I don't, something's fishy about that game. I'm going to mark it down. Here's a game that I love. You're going to laugh. Patriots minus one against the Chargers. Taking Chargers. Oh, this is great. Let's talk it out. So <laughs> DVOA, they're about the same. Pats have a very good secondary. It's the one good piece of the defense against Herbert. You Belichick against a rookie quarterback, yeah. which I just like. He loves to do that. Um, Chargers defense, 31st. 31st. There's only 32 teams. 31st in rushing DVOA, meaning they're what, terrible against the rush. What, then, is what, what is y'all's? Y'all offense? Our, we can run the ball and we can't throw it. So our, we're like in the top seven or eight rushing. Um, and then Belichick, who is the best coach of all time. Sorry, Mike Tomlin. No, um, I, I, you got Yeah, you'd even admit. Yeah, also a master at you know, close games, tight games, whatever, the little things, the extra things against the Chargers and Anthony Lynn, who week after week, they they lose the dumbest game possible and do five dumb things. This just feels like a classic Patriots game where it's like, man, I can't believe we won that game, but thank God the Chargers did those five dumb things and Herbert threw that pick into traffic and somehow we won and Cam only had 70 yards passing <laughs> and I can't believe we're six and six. That's my, that's my, that's my angle. The fact that they had a 31st rush defense and you guys have a top top 10 scares me. Uh, so I think, because yeah, because one thing that Bill Belichick is going to do, if you, if you guys are doing something well, he's going to stick to it. So he's, y'all going to run the ball. So that scares me. But I, I do, I, I like Herbert. And I think he has weapons. I don't, I think you guys won the game that you weren't supposed to win last week. So that's why mm. I feel like you're going to lose it this week. You just don't want to see us in the playoffs. Can you do your quick? Can you do your quick ninety seconds on what you think is wrong with Cam? To me, I, I feel like Cam doesn't have as much confidence as he used to have. I feel yeah. that when he used to be Superman, Cam, you know, you couldn't stop him. You know, he didn't really. He used to get hit, but he didn't really care about it as much. Now he's complaining a lot about him. And then also, I think his arm is shot. Like I remember when we played against him when we were the, the Steelers and the Cardinals. I mean, uh, when he was at the Panthers, and yeah. I remember. Like, our scouts told us he can't throw the ball past 40 yards. So we pretty much were, like, underplaying everything he threw. Like, yeah. And he, I think he threw, like, three picks that game, like, two for pick six. Or, it was crazy. Right. So I think the fact that he everybody understands he can't throw, and they're, they're pretty much like, hey, beat us with your arm. And I think it mentally is messing up his psyche. So I don't I, – I, that's why I think he's, he's not playing well. You know, you mentioned the Superman thing. He – in that Seattle game, the night game, when he was awesome, when he had that yeah, duel had against game. Wilson, and he was throwing the ball really well, and more importantly, he had that swagger, and his chest yeah. was out, and he was doing all the cam stuff. And me and my Pats fans friends, we were so excited. We were like, holy shit. Yeah, we, we, good. We, this is like cam from five years ago. This is unbelievable. And something's different. He had, you know, they kicked the game-winning field goal last week, and it looked like he was going to start crying on the sidelines, and they were like consoling him. And he was so upset by how he played. And it was like watching, not Superman, but Clark Kent. He had like the <laughs> fucking glasses on. And it was like, wow, what happened to this guy? I think they can win this week 
And then next week, so they have to stay in LA because they it's Chargers and Rams. So they can either fly back and forth. They're losing, or just the, stay they're, losing they're losing the Rams. 100% so that's so my feeling is six and six, and then the Rams game is the one that falls apart. And then Aaron Donald just destroys Cam and the whole thing. All right, Mark yeah, Aaron, that one down. Next one. This is another coaching matchup. Rams minus three Cardinals. For DVOA, Rams are six. Arizona's 13. Two things I don't like about this game for the Cardinals. And I like the Cardinals. Um, Murray didn't look right last week mm, against the Pats. He looked hurt. It didn't look like he wanted to scramble. They had specific spots where it felt like he could have taken off. And I have them both in my fantasy leagues. I've watched a lot of them. He takes off. Like, he's aggressive. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's you know, aggressive. He w- in the Pats game, he was really passive. And it made me think he was hurt. I didn't think he threw the ball that well either. And uh, and the Rams obviously have a really good pass rush against the right teams. The other piece is the coaching. Sean McVay on one side. Cliff Kingsbury on the other one. Who, uh, other, they're basically the NFC Chargers. They just do dumb shit in games. Yeah. They, they game management stuff and... It, I, I feel like it's cost them two to three games already this year. Yeah, they, they should not have lost that game last week to, to you. No. At all. They should not have lost that game last week. And, and by the way, they should have lost the Bills game that they shouldn't have. That was another one they shouldn't have lost, but then they ended up stealing it with the Hail Mary. But that was <laughs> yeah. another one where had they lost it, you'd have been like, oh my God, how did you lose that? So I just think, I just think they're too sloppy. And it's frustrating because I do think they have the talent. I, I think they have as much talent as anyone in that division, but they're too sloppy. Last one. This is my favorite one. The Bills are at the Niners. We the, the game's not even being played in San Francisco. I think they have to go to San Diego. Is that, I think that's where they settled. They're going somewhere else. Um, a lot of people on the Bills bandwagon right now. They're a Hail Mary away from a five-game winning streak. They looked really good last week, and their defense looks better. I don't know how much you've seen in them last couple of weeks, but um, they have a pass rush again, which I don't know where it was the first two months. Here, here's what I don't like. The DVOA is about even. Buffalo's 11th, uh, San Francisco's 14th. So two things I don't like. The Bills have Pittsburgh next week. And I have that theory of when you have that monster game a week away, it's kind, it kind of lingers out there, right? There's yeah, the shadow yeah. of that game. No, you're you're already does. thinking about it, right? Yeah, 100% does. 100% okay, does. good. I'm glad you agree. Second one, San Francisco's skill guys. Debo was back last week. Debo was awesome. In the uh, in the Rams game, um, he's the best guy in the field. They also got Mostert back and Brandon Ayuk, the rookie receiver. So even though they don't have Kittle, they they can move the ball. And I just like this spot for them. Everybody likes the Bills. It's a, the San Francisco's had a lot of weirdness that they're, they're moving the location of the game. They don't know where they're playing. All that stuff. It's in, it's in, it's in uh it's in the Char- uh, Chargers Stadium. Yeah, the San Diego one. I mean, not 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 Chargers. Uh, the old one. Or, no, the um the Cardinal Stadium. Oh, the Cardinal Stadium. Okay. Yeah. So one thing I was thinking with this, because I was reading pieces about San Francisco this week. There's a weird resilience with that team now in a good way. You hear like the stuff Shanahan talks about. They've had all these injuries, right? They've had COVID stuff. Um, that Garoppolo has been hurt. Kittle broke his foot. They lost Bosa. Um, just over and over again, just some sort of adversity. And they sh- they basically three weeks ago, everybody's like, they're done, write them off. And they, they're still kind of scrapping. And I feel like they've found this identity, but you must, that must resonate with you as somebody who's been on probably at least one team like that, where it's just like, all right, what's next? What's the next obstacle? Yeah. You start as a group, you start thinking, 
all right, bring on the next thing. We know we can do this. We know we can get through stuff. And it feels like San Francisco's like that right now. That's how the Steelers were last year when Ben yeah. got hurt. It was like, we started off really bad and everybody's like, oh, snap, this is about to be a long-ass season. <laughs> and, then, and then you start winning games and you're like, hey, man, like, we have a great coach. We have a good pieces. We just can't lose. the like, we, can't, we can't cause ourselves to lose these games. As long right. as we're in these games, we can win them. And I think that's a, the mindset that San Francisco has. And the Steelers, we were knocking off teams like the Bills because of the fact that the Bills didn't think we were good enough. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, teams yeah. like the Bills, that's why we were knocking them off last year. Because Yeah, because they, they assumed it was a walkover because you guys were banged up. Yeah, we were banged yeah. up. And so you say that, and them having all those pieces back, I can see San Francisco winning this game. Um, but you like, it seems like you like Buffalo, though. I, I, just I in do general. Like, I, do, I do like Buffalo just in general. I think they just have a better team. Um, and to me, I can't say they have a better coach because, you know, Shanahan's a really good coach, yeah. but I feel like Shanahan does things sometimes that put them in bad positions, like the Super Bowl. So, mm. <laughs> so I, I think, I always said that I feel that San Francisco is going to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. I think four teams can possibly make the playoffs from the NFC West. Right. And, and uh, for them to do that, I think they'll have to win this week. So that, that's why I'm going to go with them. So the other, yeah, the, the big thing with this game it's an absolute must win for San Francisco. Yeah, you, and you mentioned that where you look at the conference right now. So we have basically New Orleans, Seattle, Green Bay Rams. And then you have Bucks at seven and five, Cardinals six and five. But then the Vikings and the Niners are both five and six. So nine and seven's probably going to make it. Yeah. They, so they, they have potentially one loss left, but it, I don't feel like it could be this week. Um, oh, wait. I screwed that up um, because the NFC East has to be in there. So actually it's NFC East, Saints, Seahawks, Packers, and then Rams, Bucks, so Cardinals. So they're a game behind the Cardinals in that last spot. So there you go. Oh, long shot parlay possibility. So I didn't like the long shots this week. <laughs> I had to throw out Washington plus 315 over Pittsburgh though. So what does the plus 315 mean? When I see that in bed and it, it, like, it confuses me. All right, so that means Washington's basically a three-to-one underdog. So if you bet $100 on Washington and they win, you win $315 plus your 100 Oh, okay. Back. All right, cool. All right, cool. Like, when I P see it— all right, me... You're not losing to Washington, though, right? No, not happening. Not happening. Are you sure? Because you guys get sloppy. We get sloppy, but we had our sloppy game, so we're good. The, okay. The, the, the only thing that scares me with Washington is that they have a really good pass rush. So, and, you know, our, our line is kind of beat up a little bit, but I still think we're going to win this game. So the other one, so I was thinking if I did a long shot part, because I like to put two together and then you get crazy odds. The other one was Giants-Seattle. Giants are plus 385 over uh, Seattle. So basically almost four to one odds. By every so, metric, the Giants are better. Two things. Seattle's 26 on DVOA on defense. So that always tells me, like, if your defense is bad. You can stay in the game. And you're a high favorite. I always feel like the other team can hang around. The other thing is, Daniel Jones is hurt. So you go, oh, man, they don't have their quarterback. Well, was Daniel Jones good? Like, I, is, it, is it like the worst thing in the world to not have Daniel Jones? No, not uh, at all. Not at all. So Colt so. McCoy is replacing him. But you look at the Giants the last seven weeks. They lose to the, they lose to the Rams by eight, lose to the Dallas on a last-second field goal, beat Washington by one, lose to Philly by one, lose to Tampa by two, almost tied that game, beat Washington by three, beat Philly by 10, beat Cincinnati by two. 
they really have been playing well for two months or not, not playing well, but playing. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're standing every game. As long as you can stay in the game, you can win it. And, and the giants with it, you said a three game winning streak now right now. Yeah. Three game winning streak. It's a possibility they can win this game because I, I I didn't like Seattle's defense this whole season, and that's why I didn't I never had them as a, a Super Bowl favorite. Their defense is just so bad, so I think the Giants, as long as they find some way just to stay in the game, they can win it. So if we put Washington and the Giants together, that's nineteen to one. The case, here's the case for Washington beating you: you you don't take the game seriously, huge pass rush. Terry McLaurin and uh and and Gibson are two very good offensive players. And it's just one of those games. They get like a block punt or something stupid. To, you know, punt return, fumble, touchdown. And it's like, let's go to Washington. Or the Washington <laughs> is up 13 to 3. What's going on there? No, I I, I can't see it happening. I can't okay. see it happening. You promise me? I can't see I can't see it happening. Okay. I, I really can't. All right, but we'll I, do we'll do Seattle. Well, I'm going to put a little on on uh, the Giants. I, All right. I see I see I see Seattle, but I I can't see the Steelers losing. I can't see the Steelers losing this game. It's going to be hard for me to say uh, they're going to lose their game to of all teams to Washington. It's hard for me to say that. All right, million dollar picks for Week 13. Last week we won 123 thousand fake dollars. We are up 299 thousand dollars for the season. So I'm actually up. I'm doing these picks on Thursday. All right. I don't know what's happening with COVID. You know, <laughs> any guys can get injured last second. I am so proud of myself, Ryan Chaser. Anyway, million dollar picks, week 13. First one, doing a three team 10 point tease. Titans minus six, down to plus four against the Browns. Mm-hmm. Vikings half point over the Jags. Raiders plus a half over the Jets. All three have to win 360,000 to win 300,000 on that. Um, I'm skipping the Colts game. Next okay. one, Patriots minus one against the Chargers. The classic Bill Belichick. I can't believe this team is six and six when we have no quarterback game. I am putting $330,000 to win $300,000 over the Chargers. Okay. All right. Next, next one, Rams minus three against the Cardinals, mostly because Kyler Murray doesn't look right to me, putting $330,000 to win three hundred dollars on that. I, I think coaching battle... I think Steve Shami Vay just a better coach. That's why he's going to win this game. I'm with you. Last one, Niners plus one over the Bills. We are putting 330,000 to win 300 on that. And then just for fun, 50K on the Giants plus 385 to beat Seattle with Colt McCoy, who hasn't won a game in six years. And that's yeah, that's but- why you get the, the that's why you get the odds. That's why you get four to one odds. That is our million dollar picks. A game in- Oh my gosh. That is our million dollar picks for week 13. Before we go, tell us about the uh, Ryan Shazier Foundation and everything you're doing. You just launched it. You had a little Instagram thing the other day, but you, you're putting a lot of time and energy into this. So tell the people about it. Tell them how to donate. Yeah. So I, I started the Ryan Shazier Fund for Spinal Rehabilitation. For all those who know who I am, obviously, uh, I got hurt uh, through a spinal cord injury playing football. And I was treated amazingly. I had so much support from across the country when it came to my, you know, the NFL, my family, and people I didn't know, they all were very supportive. But it's a lot of people with spinal cord issues that are going through the same things I went through, but they didn't, they don't have the same type of support. And, you know, it's really hard to to try to come back to some type of normalcy, some type of independent lifestyle, because you become very dependent on people. And I wanted to create this foundation to allow us to give people more support, give the caregivers more support, because 
when you go through this, you always feel like you're alone. So we wanted to be somebody that's there for them. But the caregivers, they don't understand how to deal with this situation either because you never dealt with somebody that's dealing with this. So we want to be able to help them and the caregivers and just b- provide people, you know, some support, something that they know that, hey, I'm going through this, but I, I have somebody that can help me get through this and um, just allow people to get back to some type of normalcy. So I just thought it would be amazing to give what I always receive and uh, the best way to connect with the f- foundation is you can go to ryanshazierfund.org or you can go to uh, my Instagram. My Instagram also has the links on there that you can go to so you can donate and there's other ways to get involved. So uh, I really appreciate it. And this was that. something this was something you had been thinking about and thinking about how to put together for a long time. Uh, yes, yes. It was a very long time. When I had got hurt, I would just, I would be in my room and I would just see that I was able to have people around, get some support. But then I would go to, go to other rooms and talk to other people. But then also when I would be walking to my rehab or in my wheelchair, willing to my rehab, I would see other people in their rooms and they just felt like they were extremely isolated. It almost felt like it was COVID before COVID when you're in the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I just seen how difficult it was for a lot of people. And I just, I just was like, man, when I get the opportunity to be able to come back and help people the way I was, I I, I thought it would be the only thing to do, and and that's that's what that's when I started thinking about it, and then uh, I officially announced it last Monday. Do you think the science with um, trying to fix spinal cord injuries? Yeah, how far away are we from just being able to solve this? Because it seems like they've made a lot of strides in the last like forty fifty years, but where like where are we now? Big picture. Uh, we're, they're making a lot of strides, but you know it's still a long process uh, because you know the nervous system is so, and the spinal cord system is so, you know, delicate. So it's just, you know, one little thing, one little bump of your spine can just change so many things that's going on in your body. So I, we're doing really well. Uh, people are definitely getting a lot better compared to when they were, but it's it's still a long process, and they're doing a lot of research for it, but. Uh, Every every year, every day, you're finding new things out and, and people are starting to get a lot better. All right. So RyanShazierFund.org. Yep. And people can go there and you have all the information on there. And if they want to donate, even better. Um, yes, sir. It's good stuff you're doing. Ryan Shazier, we can hear you on Tuesdays on the Ringer NFL show. Worst of luck for the Steelers going 16 and 0. <laughs> I'm rooting against you. And I hope we see you in round one somehow. Uh, we're not going to see you in round one, but I appreciate you, you know, and uh, uh, when, when we go to the Super Bowl, Bill, I know you might be there. So I want you to be rooting for us when we have this uh, 19-0 uh, championship ring. So Let me tell you something. If you go to the Super Bowl, I'm definitely not going to be there. I read all those Steelers fans. That sounds terrible. All right. It was good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too, man. That's it for the Bill Simmons podcast. Don't forget about my newest episode on Book of Basketball. It's about Chris Paul. It's with Ryan Rossillo. Also did a new rewatchables this week, Wall Street. And don't forget to subscribe to The Mismatch with Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor on their new feed. They are doing it twice a week, talking NBA like always. Good luck to those guys. Good luck to everybody out there. Stay safe. See you on Sunday night.